It's 11 p.m. Eastern Time, Wednesday, June 8, 2022, and thank you for joining us for the 131st episode of the Rock and Roll Shrink Radio Show here on Blog Talk Radio. Special thanks to our host, NDB Media. I'm Casey Shapiro, and with me tonight, as always, is Dr. Stephen Mathis, a.k.a. the Rock and Roll Shrink. We'll be taking calls from our listeners all evening during the show at 914-338-0314. You can also follow along in our live chat room on blogtalkradio.com as the show is happening. Before we begin, a couple quick disclaimers. This show does not constitute a doctor-client relationship, nor legal or medical representation of any kind. Also, the views expressed on this show are those of Dr. Mathis and Ms. Shapiro, and are not any kind of official stance on behalf of the psychological community or its peer vetting or regulatory bodies. And now, a topic-relevant bit of music played by Dr. Mathis himself. Take it away, Doc. for that and if you don't mind please let us know the name of the song and the artist and its relevance to tonight's topic 
So uh, most of you who follow uh, any form of acoustic rock or acoustic type music probably recognize that as uh, one of the main uh, cuts off of the Deja Vu record by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young called Teach Your Children, which I thought was a... uh, I uh, thought an appropriate uh, caveat for this evening's topic. Uh, so oh, definitely. I that kind of be, kind of be, yeah, I thought that would be kind of a cutie to do. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, so as Dr. Mathis uh, alludes, uh, tonight's episode is entitled, Leaving Home Ain't Easy, Failure to Launch Syndrome. And there's a brief nod to Queen in there, and we'll discuss all that in a moment. Before we begin our main topic discussion, let's first go to the Rock and Roll Shrink Recalls, a moment of rock music trivia stories as recounted by Dr. Mathis, if you would, sir. Uh, So this last couple of weeks, we've seen the passing of uh, several musicians who have been sort of mainstays uh, in the industry. But we also saw the passing of a an individual who created some of the uh, instruments that the classic rock and modern rock and experimental stuff has been done on. Uh, And the individual uh, about whom I speak is Dave Smith, uh, who I thought was interesting. uh, For those of you who don't know who Dave Smith is, his his quote-unquote born name was David Joseph Smith, and I thought that was interesting that he had the middle and last name of uh, a fairly famous religious figure. (laughs) Oh, yes, I see. Yeah, (laughs) but I digress. Um, So for those who don't know, uh, he was better known as Dave Smith, and um, what are you doing, Dave? (laughs) 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 Oh, my God, he's on one of those moves tonight. (laughs) For those of you who don't know... Yeah, well, I mean, I thought that was kind of cool because it's kind of related to a computer, and we're going to be talking about synthesizers this evening because Dave Smith is the father, uh, one of the fathers of MIDI, Musical Instrument Digital Interface, along with being a variety of other things. uh, He was an American engineer and founder of the synthesizer company Sequential Circuits, which put out some of the uh, well-known synthesizers that are still in existence and sought after today, the Prophet series. Um, and the first one coming out, <clears throat> excuse me, under the sequential circuits of brand, which he did in 1974, uh, purchased his, of his first com- uh, synthesizer in 72, uh, which was, I think, a Minimoog. Uh, after graduating from UC Berkeley with both an electrical engineering and a computer science degree. So this was no dummy. Uh, And after that, built the first analog synth, which was the sequential circuits synth that he then, and I think that was in 74, and took out an ad in Rolling Stone magazine, which I thought was really interesting. So he started working for his company full-time sequential by the, the mid to late 70s. And that was when he designed the Prophet 5, which was the first microprocessor-based musical instrument and first programmable polysynth. So prior to this, most of the synths were monophonic, which means you could only play one key at a time. So when the mini mode came out, it was a really cool, revolutionary thing that was obviously done by Robert Moog. 
but it was a monophonic synthesizer. So if you wanted to have a, a chord, you had to greatly expand the sense capabilities or have a boatload of these things uh, chained together. Robert uh, certainly was a pioneer, and, but what Joseph uh, Smith, <laughs> what Dave Smith did, was take this and turn it into a polyphonic so you can plus multiple keys at the same time. And also decided that since synthesizers all had different protocols, one of the things that they needed to do was have some kind of um, kind of basis for which all synths uh, operated and talked to each other. So he started to build a standard protocol so that electronic musical instruments could talk to each other, so to speak, even from different manufacturers worldwide. So he started out doing that in the early 80s and presented a paper outlining this idea that he called the Universal Synthesizer Interface uh, to the Audio Engineering Society. And he met, after that, he met with um, uh, Ikutaro uh, Kakahashi, I think is his last name, I'm probably mispronouncing that, who is the founder and owner of Roland Instruments, who have been making sense for a long time. Um, the Junos are kind of one of their... Uh, and, and the Roland Phantom, which is sort of their flagship, which is still in, in existence today, and Tom Oberheim of the Oberheim synthesizers. So, you know, these are some heavy hitters. And when he worked with those folks and met with those, he entered, they came out in 83 in the Winter NAM show, which is, uh, NAM is, it stands for the National Association of Music Merchandisers. And uh, they do two shows a year, one in summer, one in winter. One's held in... Um, Nashville and one's held in L.A. And they did the Winter Nam show in 93 when they successfully presented their MIDI, Musical Instrument Digital Interface, where they hooked up a Roland Juno 6, uh, excuse me, Roland Jupiter 6, with one of the sequential circuits, uh, Prophet 600. So uh, that was like, holy moly, these two synths are talking to each other and playing each other's sound banks, and holy moly, he just blew people's minds. Uh, and because of his work in the uh, area of musical synthesis, he was named a fellow of the Audio Engineering Society. <clears throat> Excuse me. And as late as 2022 this year, uh, he wrote, The Guardian wrote that the MIDI remained as important to music as the USB was to computing. Uh, and I mean, this guy has won all kinds of awards and accolades. Uh, and Smith's original MIDI design that he developed and uh, displayed in the 1983 NAMM show is the one that's still in use to this day. Uh, after sequential circuits, he became the president of research and development division of Yamaha, where he worked on basic physical modeling synthesizers and uh, started the Korg Group in California and went on to produce uh, a wave station synthesizer. And it's kind of a complicated thing to explain the difference in a wave station and an LFO, uh, low-frequency oscillator type synth. So I'm not going to go into that, but just suffice to say it's a different type of engine. But they all communicate with MIDI. Uh, he still went on to serve as president of the SEER systems, which is the first software-developed-based synthesizer that you played on a PC. So it's, that was kind of the beginning of what now is known as uh, you know, UADs and those plugins you put on the, uh, 
uh, the, the digital audio workstations, the, the, the mixer boards on, on the computer like uh, Logic Pro or Pro Tools. So this guy really, I mean, he's, he's done a lot in the, commu- in the uh, computer, uh, the synthesizer field, uh, and just really, 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 really uh, opened up the whole world of this. Um, just did a, a number of things. Eventually, in 2002, uh, he started Dave Smith's Instruments, which started manufacturing basically profits, but he couldn't call them that because it was under the, the uh, Yamaha, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, not the Yamaha, excuse me, the Roland uh, name brand. So he was still he still was pre- uh, prevented from using that, so he called it Dave Smith's Instruments, and then founded. Uh, was inducted into the uh, Technology um, Foundation, which stands for Technical Excellence and Creativity, which is kind of a Hall of Fame for many specs, uh, and received a technical Grammy for their community, for uh, his development of the MIDI, along with uh, Akitaro uh, Kakahashi. In 2015, he got back the rights of Sequential from Yamaha and Roland, and eventually released the Prophet 6 under his under that name, so it became the sequential Prophet Six, and I think they just released. He was working on a uh, computer, a uh, synthesizer. Sorry, there was a composite with his buddy Tom Oberheim, and they just came out with this really awesome synth, and I forgot the name of it because it literally just got released uh, right after his death. Um, <clears throat> So Smith, while originally from um, California, his father actually was a native Californian, and his mom uh, came from wine growers in Italy who uh, emigrated over to San Francisco. So he was actually born in San Francisco. And after he graduated from UC Berkeley, I went to San Jose. I guess he knew the way to San Jose. But thanks, I'll be here all week. And oh, wow. <laughs> in the 1970s, oh, uh, and it was while he was doing his job and developing his programs and his uh, you know MIDI stuff and, and his uh, synthesizers, he was also a huge physical competitor. And actually, and I didn't even know this till I started looking at some of his life accomplishments, uh, competed in the uh, Hawaii's Ironman World Champion. <laughs> so I was like, holy moly! Uh, and also loved uh, hiking in the mountains. Uh, with his buddy Robert Lind, who is another synth pioneer guy. Go figure, right? Uh, Smith married his first and only wife uh, in 1988. I think her name was Denise White, and eventually relocated to St. Helena, California, uh, where he remained married until his death, which was just uh, the end of May of this year at age 72. Uh, He was in Detroit uh, to attend the Movement Electronic Festival and died of a heart attack. So just to give uh, listeners an idea of some of the uh, range uh, of impact of the synthesizers, I'll just I'll name a few people uh, who are in various genres who have used his computers uh, on numerous extremely well-known uh, recordings that all of us have heard. Uh, first one I'll talk about is Greg Hawks, which most people go, huh? But if I say, uh, you know, um, my best friend's girlfriend. People go, oh, you mean the cars? Yes, Greg Hawks was the keyboard player with cars, and he ah, used the profits. Okay. Uh, Phil Collins in the solo work. Tony Banks of yeah. Genesis with Phil Collins. Uh, Tangerine Dream. 
you love this oh. one, Dr. Dre, <laughs> which I did not know <laughs> That's previously. That's awesome. Uh, I mean, I know who he was, but I didn't know if it, he had recorded with uh, Prophets. Uh, Rick Wakeman of Yes, in, in addition to the Moogs that he used. Uh, Richard Wright, who is the keyboardist of Pink Floyd. Uh, yep. The Australian electronics band uh, Pendulum. Uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller, his keyboard player, has profits all over that uh, recording. Uh, Madonna's, uh, several of Madonna's recordings have profits on them. Uh, the band Radiohead uses uh, profits. Uh, Brand Fidel, uh, who was the uh, classical soundtrack guy who did the soundtrack for The Terminator, uses a profit. Oh. Uh, John Carpenter, who most of you know, uh, a big pioneer in the horror movie genre, used uh, profits to do a lot of the synth work. Uh, most people probably don't know this, but he couldn't afford an orchestra or musicians, so he invented all the little keyboard parts on all of his, uh, you know, that do 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 do. You know, all the, all the Halloween movies. That's that's his that's him playing keyboards and his uh, composition. Oh, which wow. I thought was okay. interesting because it was on such a shoestring budget at the time. Um, Richard Barbieri, who was the keyboardist for the prog rock British band Porcupine Tree. Uh, I actually saw him in concert here uh, several years ago. Uh, and Vangelis, who, oh. uh, much to my chagrin, did the uh, keyboards on and soundtrack for Chariots of Fire. Sorry, guys, I really hate that song. I've, they played it to Aww. death on the radio. It was great the first 300,000 times I heard it. <laughs> Uh, but also did the Blade Runner soundtrack. Uh, and, yeah, and you know, nice. to Vangelis' credit, and I'm not trying to slam him, he's a very good composer. It's just some of the stuff he does, they play in the ground, and I'm just like, God, give me a break. But you can see that this person is all over the map with everybody from Dr. Dorado to Madonna to Michael Jackson to Richard Wright of Pink Floyd to Tangerine Dream and Pendulum, both of that are very esoteric-y, you know, uh, electronic keyboardies to more, you know, um, new AV kind of people like Greg Hawks to uh, prog people like Tony Banks and uh, Richard Wright. So these keyboards are all over the place. And it, chances are, if you if you listen to any kind of rock or prog rock, you've heard a prophet multiple times. So I wanted to do a shout out to uh, to Dave Smith and his family uh, because he is such a contributor to the world of music in all kinds of genres. So there you go. Very nice. I appreciate that story. Hold on. I'm looking for my applause wave because I'd like to give you some. There you go. As always, some very fun trivia. Lots of stuff I've heard of, a few things I haven't. And if you're talking, I can't hear you. How about now? Anything? Huh. Let me see. How about now? Anything? No?
All right. Um, keep on trying. We seem to be having a little bit of audio trouble reaching Dr. Mathis, and I really hate to continue the conversation without him being able to hear me. So if you all will graciously give me a minute to sort this out, uh, let's see what's going on here. That's a lovely piece that Dr. Mathis made up, but I'm going to interrupt it because we seem to have solved our audio problems. So let's go ahead and continue. And thank you for the trivia, as always. Um, there's always something fun on there, some things I know and some things I don't. <laughs> so that's always kind of neat. All righty. So, again, we'll take calls from our listeners and questions in the online chat room throughout the rest of the evening until around midnight which is about 40 minutes from now. So feel free to give us a call. Again, the number is 914-338-0314. All righty. Leaving home ain't easy. Failure to launch syndrome. Failure to launch was a 2006 Matthew McConaughey movie that may have been lukewarm at the box office, but it gave our society a means to articulate a particular problematic phenomenon. Many young adults are either still living at home after school for extended periods of time, I don't mean like, you know, over the summer while you're waiting to get that job, um, and or struggling with basic life skills, even if they have made at least a jump to independent living. There are multiple reasons that either situation can happen. Sometimes it can be simple unwillingness to apply oneself until it becomes imperative. However, many times it can just be simple economic factors, especially like right now, the housing market is absolutely crazy and even renting is ridiculous. So, you know, the moments like this do come up. We get that, especially in metropolitan areas. It may be other social factors such as wanting or needing to be nearby to care for a relative, and that could be an elderly relative. It could be a younger sibling while a parent's at work. could be lots of things. It may be other social factors, such as wanting or needing. No, I already said that. Pardon me. My bad. Um, It sometimes can be part of a pathology that affects one's ability to absorb and execute basic life skills, such as managing time, managing money, sensing fraud or a scam, managing the needs of a personal independent household, even with one person, 
being able to respond to personal emergencies by planning ahead and other adult situations. So tonight we want to talk about a specific phenomenon often colloquially referred to as failure to launch syndrome. Although I will say this, in my research I'm finding that there's some undercurrent about trying to give this a new name because some mental health professionals feel like calling it failure to launch kind of implies the person's never going to be able to. And they're looking for something that still keeps the door open for them maybe to just be delayed rather than fail. Um, So I wanted to make sure to put that out there. I'm going to use this term during the show, but if any of our listeners have any good suggestions, I will be happy to pass them on and encourage people to use them because I do get the point they're making. Okay, now failure to launch syndrome is not an actual pathology per se, and it can have a few different kinds of causes. It's just a mental health phenomenon. We also want to touch base on basic adult life skills, what we often euphemistically refer to as adulting. (laughs) And the word is cute and has a lot of self-deprecation to it, but it, it does succinctly refer to kind of what we're getting at. And so we're going to talk about that and one's ability to function independently in society. It is a perennial trope that persons a couple generations ahead of young adults now often complain about how said young adults do not know how to be functional in society. Like most such social tropes, there are indeed persons who are examples of the complaint. And yet there are also persons who superficially may seem as if they exemplify it, But on deeper examination, there turns out to be understandable factors involved, not caused by a personal failing or a choice. But they still get shamed for some real or imagined lack, you know, a failure that they've done or not done. These situations are not diagnoses, but they can definitely be a mental health issue in many cases. To be clear, also, we will briefly address those who may behave this way due to a bona fide pathology, just to get that possibility out of the way here. But primarily, we're referring to social choices made by adults capable of navigating them. So I know that was a longer introduction than some of our shows, so I hope you guys are still with us. Um, Tonight, we're going to discuss basic adult life skills and failure to launch syndrome, what causes this, and has something changed socially in society and parenting? Common misunderstandings about life skills and how we acquire them. And conclusions, closing remarks, and final suggestions. And I have a note in here because there's really no good place to put this because I don't want to get into it at length because we already have. We did do one episode a couple years ago about Hikikomori, H-I-K-I-K-O, M-O-R-I is a Japanese term for specific young adult recluses who stay at home and and do this. And it's a very complicated thing. But we did a show in October 2020 on loner behavior and reclusiveness. And we talked about them at length at that time. So I'm not going to tonight. But I do want to put them up to acknowledge in Japanese culture, they're having a pervasive problem with this so much that it's got a name and everything, and they haven't really solved it either. But I wanted you all to be aware of that, and you know, feel free to go back and listen to the other show if you want some more details on that. And then I'm going to check in with you, Dr. Mathis, and see if there's anything you'd like to bring up before we get started. I'm good, thanks. All righty. 
So first up, basic adult life skills and failure to launch syndrome. So just to put it on the table, why do we assume these are known skills? Who decides? Um, if you can't do them, you have to pay people to do it for you, and you could be taken advantage of, especially if it's something you don't know much about, like working on your car. You know, you, most people these days, cars have computers and all kinds of crazy crap in there. I used to be a big gearhead, and I can't deal with modern cars that, that well. But I do have some basic understandings so that if somebody's screwing with me, I can tell. And there's a lot of people who don't. That's an example of what I'm talking about here. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But first, let's define what is failure to launch that we keep talking about here. So failure to launch syndrome is not a true diagnosis, nor is it a term that the source I'm quoting here really is very fond of. It's an it's a institute that helps young adults that are not able to get past their struggle to be independent. Um, so rather, in a, it's a common way to describe a young adult who's struggling with the transition to adulthood. It can be defined as an inability to leave home and support oneself regardless of the underlying cause. Young adults struggling with failure to launch or failure to thrive may appear to be, quote, stuck or not maturing in an age-appropriate way. Many young adults will need extra support at some point during the transition to adulthood. This may include a stint at home with parents, but that does not mean all young adult children living with their parents are, quote, failing to launch. Failure to launch syndrome can only be considered after a long duration of dependency from the adult child without notable progress or motivation. Failure to launch often has the following symptoms. It doesn't have to have all of them, and there are some more I've seen in other articles, but I didn't want the list to have like 30 things on it. So here's a summary of some of the top ones. Uh, poor work ethic or, you know, possibly new work ethic, like really not knowing how to behave in the workplace and this being your first time. Uh, low distress tolerance, low levels of motivation, low levels of persistence. I, I would also say, and they didn't mention here, low levels of resiliency. Um, high expectations of others without reciprocating, failure to take responsibility or accountability, lack of vision for the future or long, inability to, to make long-term goals, lack of skills needed for adulthood like basic cooking and cleaning skills, for example. And you also see this with narcissism. And I also want to mention, I'm not going to get into, but just to keep it on the table, a related syndrome that actually is a diagnosis, sort of. I, I say that conditionally. It's called uh, Peter Pan syndrome, and there's a companion, Wendy syndrome. So Peter Pan syndrome in specific is childlike behavior not caused by a different or separate pathology or even a fetish. You know, Some people do it to be sexy time, and some people do it because they really just cannot compose themselves to be an adult. Um, the companion syndrome, the Wendy syndrome, is usually when you have someone who has that and they have an enabling partner. The partner does not do a whole lot to mitigate this behavior or to discourage it. And I just wanted to put those on the table as related things, but we're not going to get into a big discussion. So at this point, I'm going to check in with you again, Dr. Mathis, and see if there's something you'd like to add. 
No, I'm good right now. Thanks. Okay, no. Let's go ahead and go on to the next section. So, part two, what causes this and has something changed socially in society or parenting? So, there are multiple reasons that are individual and subjective as to why young adults struggle to become independent and be capable of making basic life choices and decisions. In most situations, whatever the root cause, it has a lot to do with how parents did or did not prepare them for this transition. So here are some various causes and influencing factors. This is not like people don't have to have everything on the list, just one of these. It just addresses the fact that a lot of people who go through this do it for many different reasons. Some are pathologies, some are lack of information, some is just willfully not being ready to do the work for whatever reason. So, number one, enabling and influencing factors. Parenting styles, the family experience, and the parent-child relationship can all be factors in the development of failure to launch. Overprotective parents tend to raise kids who display a lack of autonomy. When a child is not faced with age-appropriate challenges during the difficult child growth stages, They miss out on opportunities to develop confidence. Well-meaning parents are eager to make their child's life easy and remove challenging situations. As a result, an adult child may hold on to an unhealthy attachment to their parents and the ease of living that the parents provide. While the family experience and the parent-child relationship may be factors, this is not the case for all children. Another factor that could be relevant is substance abuse. Entitlement, isolation, and unhealthy family systems are common symptoms of both failure to launch syndrome and addiction. That means when an addiction is present, failure to launch may go unnoticed. Addiction can also have a causal effect, pardon me, on failure to launch. Young adults suffering from a chemical addiction are more likely to experience diminished financial, cognitive, and emotional stability. Those suffering from a screen addiction, meaning like we've covered this, quote, internet addiction, even though that's quote, unquote, um, they lose healthy social and coping skills over time as well as, as literally valuable time. These additional distractions and complications in the life of an addict make it even more difficult to get or stay on his or her feet. Regardless of the addiction type, everyone suffering from an addiction lives an unmanageable life. The increased anxiety and emotional turmoil these young adults experience led to a decrease in commitments to education, career, personal health, and social activities. And they did not say it in the paragraph, but let me add here that addiction can be a factor either from the young adult or possibly from the parents that are enabling them. If Mom's busy smoking it up downstairs and seeing colors and all that. She's missing the fact that Johnny really needs to get off his ass and get a job, and she just doesn't care, you know, for example. So addiction can be in either side of these kinds of situations and be a problem. Next is mental illness, of course. Mental illness is among the most common causes of failure to launch. Leaving the safety at home is cripplingly scary, for a young adult with depression, anxiety, ADHD, or who has experienced trauma. 
As much as they may desire to be independent, their mental health keeps them home. Young adults who have experienced the loss or damage of a significant relationship, and typically they mean like a family member or if they're, you know, 18 to 20 or something like that, you know, maybe their first major relationship, um, they're more likely to have trouble living independently. In particular, individuals with a personality disorder, an attachment disorder, or bipolar disorder often really struggle to leave home. Another factor could be being on the spectrum. Uh, this lists Asperger separately, so this was written a little while ago because it's been changed in the DSM. But they say Asperger's and autism. The thought of juggling adult responsibilities is daunting for most adolescents and even for some successfully fully functioning adults. This overwhelm can be even stronger for adolescents and young adults on the autism spectrum. Young adults with Asperger's syndrome or high-functioning autism are especially prone to avoid the transition to adulthood. Young adults on the spectrum are emotionally young for their chronological age. For many, this means lower motivation to move out, attend school, and they probably mean college when they say that, or get a job. When young adults with AS or HFA feel overwhelmed, they may exert control by engaging in something with which they're familiar. Often this, quote, something is being a child. Staying in a familiar place and behaving in a familiar manner is a way for them to have power over this very frightening life transition. The connection between the autism spectrum and the struggle to leave home is familiar to many parents. Some parents have found that they can act as their child's coach, quote, unquote, to successfully lead them into adulthood. Other families need more intense external guidance to help their child with this challenging transition. And I also want to add here, again, this is not written down, but something that occurred to me. This very often comes up when you have a young adult child who has some kind of developmental issue. And as the parents age and are not able to keep supporting them when they may need to be supported, you know, a lot of times you come to this crossroads where, the parents may eventually be aging and, and may not be here much longer, but how is the child going to function without that? And it's not that they're doing something wrong by this. It's an inevitable byproduct of that situation, but it's just something to think about. Okay, so is this a generational change? Yes and no. So there's been some element of this for several generations, honestly. And a lot of it is just simply that with the technology and the instantaneousness of social media and electronic main media, you hear about it that much more often, but it isn't necessarily a new phenomenon that much. It's just we didn't always hear about Johnny not moving out of his parents' house for 10 years on the radio the way you do now. So technology has also rendered many skills, quote, obsolete. On the other hand, over-reliance on technology to solve everything can be a problem if the tech breaks or malfunctions, gives bad data, or an emergency happens where we may have to do something, quote, the hard way. Having a backup plan is the actual life skill here. Knowing as much as possible what to do if the usual plan fails, that, that is part of, quote, adulting or whatever, is thinking of that and having something in place. 
Also, there is a big difference between knowing handy things and knowing things without which one may barely survive. Needs like food, heat, shelter, medical things. You know, if you lose your main source of these, what do you do as a backup? Part of becoming an adult is thinking about that before something breaks or goes away. All right. And with this, I'm going to pause and check in with Dr. Mathis. Well, I'm good. I've got some comments that will come later. Okay, doke. I kind of figured you were saving them up. I knew that was, I knew that was probably coming, and and that's all good. Okay, yeah, so well, I want to do that near the end, and I also want to do a shameless smooth uh, <clears throat> promo for my uh, upcoming uh, conference uh, workshops. <laughs> oh, are, are they topic relevant? Are you going to be covering something that might help people? Uh, they are actually topic relevant. Okay, excellent. I look forward to talking about that in a few minutes. That will be awesome. There you go. Okay, section three, common misunderstandings about life skills and how we acquire them. So when people speak about basic life skills, to what are they referring and who chose what goes in this category and why? So life skills, quote unquote, is a subjective and context-driven concept, but most people's notions of what they entail do have some common aspects. Here's several examples, and they are by no means all-inclusive. They're just some main examples and nothing more. So whatever your situation as an adult, when you become a young adult, you're expected to start a home of your own, even if you have roommates, you know, but just something separate from your parents. And someone has to provide your basic needs, such as food, clothing, paying for maintaining that home, even if you're renting, transportation, financial structure, such as a bank account, social and work structure, keeping the calendar and keeping track of your tasks, and so on and so forth. The fewer things that you can do for yourself, some of them will have to still be addressed, and so you will need to create enough income to pay people to do these for you, such as work on your car, repairing your dwelling, reviewing contracts and legal stuff for you, and so on. Um, And it's not like you're a bad person if you don't understand legalese. You know, that's not what we're saying. But just bearing in mind that if you can't do something, you're beholden to another person. And this is true whether you're in a farm town and life skills means how do I run the tractor and how do I get the deer out of the barn, you know, as opposed to being in the city and it's, you know, how do I adjust my internet or, you know, how do I get down to the corner deli, that kind of stuff. You know, these things are are subjective and and context-driven, but they're all basically about what goes on in my day and how do I deal with the expected usual routines here and and needs. Um, Another example is you need to understand the laws in your state and how to advocate for yourself in contracts and other legal matters. You know, there are people who literally think it's going to fly if they go, well, I didn't know that was illegal. Okay, Sparky, whose responsibility is that? And when you start adulting, you realize it's yours. And you need to find out stuff if you think that there's any kind of question or gray area. That's up to you. You know, ask people. Ask a lawyer if you have to. You know, but, you know, part of realizing adulting is coming to conclusions like that. Um, Another example 
You need to be able to keep a basic routine, including feeding yourself, being clean, keeping a calendar, keeping track of non-calendar tasks like, oh, I need to return a book to the library, um, you know, before I get a giant fine. Get reminders, stuff like that. that. That's a basic need no matter what your routine is. You need a support system of family and friends in place. You know, there are some people who have failure to thrive issues that also have issues kind of staying in touch with very many friends and family. They have trouble connecting and being social. And all of these are subjective. It could be a lot of reasons for it. So, you know, it all depends on context. But you need a support system in place for many reasons. Lack of time to get things done. Lack of skills to do it. Um, Dr. Matheson's computer. <clears throat> uh, lack of knowledge how to get help. Medical issues. Monetary issues. Logistics issues, etc. You need to be able to extrapolate your upcoming needs, such as getting your car repair completed before you have the big job interview because then you don't have a way to get there if you don't do this. And you need to be able to execute a plan to address those needs. So these are only some examples just to make sure we're all discussing the same thing. Essentially here the question becomes, what's the cause of the person's struggle with adjustment? If it's a choice in their power, the best policy is for others to set some boundaries with that person so that they will have to take some action to deal with things, you know, such as, I need you to find a job and get a car and get a place of your own within the next year. And, you know, you can set little benchmarks and you can be as stringent or as generous as you want to be about it. But if nobody sets any kind of deadline, a lot of times people who do have control over this question will just keep doing what's working because they don't have any reason to stop. So you need to give them a reason by giving them a deadline and a boundary. And don't do the thing where you create a boundary and then you waffle and then you change it and you extend it. You know, they teach you this from dealing with toddlers and dealing with pets. No means no. Say no when you mean it. Stick to it. People are going to bitch and whine, say nasty things. That's nothing to do with it. The boundary stays. You have to because they need to understand that you're serious. And that's the only way they're going to learn that. Next, if there's a financial, a mental health, or other external and possibly not controllable factor involved, then the community of friends and family is best served by giving support appropriate to furthering their self-reliance based on the problem. They may need networking, information, mentorship, boundaries, mental health or financial assistance, someone they trust to have the firm conversations with them, and so on. It may not necessarily be easy. They may fuss, but this is what you can do about it. it. What I'm trying to basically give you guys is an action to do something. If the person refuses to even try to be involved in solving their situation, there's always someone else facilitating that somehow. They, they don't do this unless someone is making it possible. So that person needs to set some deadlines and boundaries. Sensing a theme here, that's on purpose. <laughs> and coordinating whatever help it takes to get them making progress. Now, there are some people in this category who have medical or mental health challenges that are going, they're just going to be a lot of daunting work to cope with. And it isn't going to be fair to anybody 
But nevertheless, others may have to help this person some to be able to function. And that's a personal judgment call how much you want to do that. All right. And at this point, I'm going to pause and check in again with Dr. Mathis. Yep, I'm still good. Okay, we're saving the deluge to the end, aren't we? (laughs) And that's all good. That's fine. So conclusions, closing remarks, of which there will probably be several, and final suggestions. So Uh there are levels of coping ability, and we're going to talk about each one a little bit and how they differ. So how bad is it, meaning the struggle, and what kind of help do you need? Failure to launch looks different in each young adult. While some may simply need a few more boundaries at home, others may need intense treatment outside the home. We've outlined some common behaviors and suggestions to help each one. So if the struggle is mild, uh, minor, often circumstantial struggling, this is uh, how you can help. Uh, One, hold boundaries. To live at home, they should be required to contribute to the household. They can contribute by getting an education, having a job, paying rent, or caring for others in the home, you know, supporting those who are paying their way. Next, don't coddle. Allow your child to take responsibility and learn to face the hard parts of growing up. Consider therapy. If a mental health issue seems to be holding, what says her, holding them back, look for a therapist who specializes in the area in which they're struggling. Okay, if the struggle is moderate, possibly related to a pathology or trauma. This is uh, some of the ways you can help. Some of these are repeats of each other, but they differ in the amount to which you're going to pursue them. You know, some of these... Therapy. A young adult displaying this level of resistance to school or work will need to address the underlying causes in therapy. They may be successful in outpatient therapy, or they may need a more intense therapeutic program. Um, I did discover in some of my research that there are facilities that have, I guess you could almost call it like an adulting camp, you know, where people go and they spend time in a workshop that's you know in place for a couple of weeks in-house or whatever, and they work on these issues and uh, get mental health help with what's going on. Okay. Uh, Use encouragement. Expressing frustration and anger with your child will likely make them feel worse and increase value to launch behavior, increase failure to launch behaviors. Pardon. Use loving boundaries and encouragement to help them move forward. And structure. Help your young adult find the right balance between staying busy and having downtime. And, And this is also important. Part of being adult is knowing when to do self-care so that you do not burn out. You know, that is a common problem where the pendulum swings way too hard the other way. And last, if the problem is very severe, uh, you have somebody who's actively hostile about getting help or making changes. Severe pathology or trauma is probably... Like some of the places, the facilities I was just mentioning. When a young adult symptoms on this are this persistent for an extended period of time, like over a year or two, the chances of them getting better without significant therapeutic intervention is unlikely. 
Next, don't walk on eggshells. This is easier said than done, but it is effective. It's common for families to try to appease a young adult with severe failure to launch. Inadvertently, this makes it more comfortable for them to stay home while simultaneously draining the rest of the family members. So don't do that. Self-care. A struggling adult child is stressful and draining for themselves and for those supporting them. Take time for yourself and seek support as you need it. We must also realize that we cannot control that in many cases. Several adults, parents, teachers, community leaders, mentors, etc., and even media, entertainment, and social media did not do enough to guide these young adults sufficiently growing up for a wide variety of reasons. You know, they may have cycles of their own in the family and, you know, bad examples, inabilities to do certain things, lack of resources or knowledge, not enough time and energy to do it, especially like if you have a single parent home or, you know, another divided home, lack of support system, etc. It isn't fair but it will become society's problem. That's an inevitability. So we need to, as much as possible, facilitate solutions rather than just shame people. Now, one caveat, it is perfectly reasonable if someone just chooses not to try to distance yourself from them. That's part of setting boundaries. Sometimes that may be what they need in order to choose to change. So in conclusion... This is not an issue that has one simple cause and one obvious solution. Those of us who can handle it are best served to just choose to advocate for those who may need assistance to navigate their lives as much as one can while meeting one's own needs. Remember that. And right now, I'm pretty sure that Dr. Mathis has a bunch of things to say to us. So let's go to him and see what's up. Well, what I wanted to say was a lot of times what I see with my caseload of folks uh, who have this kind of issue is the parents seem to think that the kids are going to learn this by osmosis. Uh, and I don't know where they get that from. I don't know if they think, well, they're going to get that at school or they're going to pick it up from their uh, classmates or whatever. But it's really flipping obvious that that is not going to be the case. I mean, I, I have kids that... And I think, I, you know, part of my impetus for this show when I suggested it was because, you know, I have some people right now, I mean, they just don't have basic, what I call common sense, that's obviously not common sense. Um, <laughs> uh, it's like, come on, guys, you mean, you, what do you mean? You know, like this was well, one person uh, was working in a place and forgot to turn in money at the end of the of the night and realized it and called and, and they, they called, talked to the owner and said, hey, by the way, uh, you, you're going to come up short with the count. And the owner says, yeah, I was, I was about to give you a call. I said, well, he said, well you know, I, I, I got sloppy and forgot to uh, log it in. I've got the money. I'll bring it in next time I show up. Well, this guy's only been working there like two weeks or three weeks. So you know what happens. The owner thinks he's being robbed, right? Yeah. The, he doesn't trust the guy that just started working. And he says, you know, that gives me pause for concern, uh, you know, for your uh, honesty and, and what's going on. Yeah. And my guy got very insulted. And I went, dude, you foobard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this isn't, you know, uh, this is not the good thing that you did. 
The, uh, and, and the guy, he said, well, I told him I was going to bring the money back when I showed up for work in two days. Um, yeah, well, you know, I can say I'm a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, you know, chick, 16-year-old chick with big hooters. I said, but, you know, that's not true either. And he starts laughing. And I said, he doesn't know you. You've worked there for how many weeks? It's not like you've been there for five years and then you made an honest mistake and go, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. You're absolutely right. Do you want me to come back right now? Right? And the guy looked at me and he says, well, shit, that was a 20-minute drive back to, uh, you know, back to 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 the shop. And I went, yes, and you should have offered to do that in the moment and get off your lazy assets and do it. And he looked at me like I had just said, you know, I'm from a foreign planet. Take me to your leader. And I said to this kid, you're not going to make it. This is job number five you've gotten fired from or that you've quit because you felt like they were, quote, unquote, treating you unfairly. They're not treating you unfairly. You're being a dumbass. I said, and I'm not trying to be mean, yeah. and I'm not trying to call it. You know, you're being a dumbass, and you're not a dumbass, so stop acting like one so they don't think you're a dumbass or a crook. This is, the, this is how this operates. And it was like... Holy moly, nobody ever told me that. And I'm like, they shouldn't have to tell you that. That should be common sense. Hello? But it's not. And the parents aren't saying to the kid, okay, do you know what happens if this happens to you? Because I think they just think the kids are going to you know, get this by osmosis. And they're not. And this is not my only person that I've had that this kind of thing's happened to. Yeah. So a lot of it is just parents are uh, unconscious, what I call unconsciously neglectful. They're not doing it on purpose because both of his parents – are workaholics, they, they are very reliable, they're good people, you know, but <laughs> they, they miss the, uh, hey, you need to make sure your kid knows this shit lesson. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you're certainly right when you talk about some of the uh, things that uh, can lead to uh, some of the influencing factors and causes, you know, because obviously most of the people who see me have some sort of mental disorder, whether it's a substance abuse disorder or whether it's ADHD or anxiety, trauma, whatever. Um, Yeah. You know, and and part of that is uh, part of the reason that I got tagged to do this workshop. So most of the listeners probably don't know unless they're in the Atlanta area or unless they're in the addiction field that every year the uh, third week in June – uh, second or third week in June, there's a big addiction conference that's held here in, in Atlanta, and it's partially sponsored by the one of the addiction boards uh, here, on, in which I'm an executive board member. I'm actually the oldest living executive board member because everybody else I started I helped start the board back in the day in '93, and I'm the last of the uh, last of the guys because every I'm last of the gals because every one of the guys and gals has either died or retired, and I'm, I'm the uh, I'm the last dinosaur on the, uh, <laughs> on the board. Uh, you know, oh, woo, you know, there goes Tokyo. Here comes Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but Godzilla will be leaving for future grounds uh, in the not too near future. But at any rate, um, because of that, I got tagged to do some workshops uh, on Tuesday. So I'm actually presenting on um, internet addiction. Right, which is part of this syndrome, because if if you live your life in a fantasy world, you don't know what reality is. Right, if whether it's you know YouTubing or video gaming or uh, Facebooking or whatever, uh, you know, or, or texting all day or whatever, you live in a fantasy world. And you know, there's even though it's not an official diagnosis, I'm going to be talking about internet addiction and the consequences and the causes. And and one of the 
downsides of this is obviously if you're not living in the real world. You know, it's kind of like the line that uh, the main uh, protagonist's uh, hero on, uh, what is it, uh, Ready Player One says, you know, remember oh, that yeah. the reality is, yes, the real world. It's not this fantasy world, you know. And that's, you know, fantasy world's great, but you've got to know it's fantasy and you've got to know when to balance it and come back to reality, so to speak. So that's one of the workshops I'm doing. The other one is on trauma-based therapy, which is a very key factor in a lot of these people getting stuck uh, at the age that their trauma happened and they just their brain just kind of got you know miswired and that's kind of where they are until they get that taken care of so i thought it was interesting that i'm doing uh, an internet addiction and a trauma-based therapy uh, workshops on tuesday at the uh, conference so i wanted to do a shameless promotion and say you know part of the reason i'm doing these is because of the negative effects that happens uh, when you have these kind of things on a number of, of uh, life arenas, part of which is failure to launch. Yep. I can absolutely see that, and uh, I'm sure that in the future that will empower you to help people that have this issue in case they want to get some therapy for it because – a, a lot of these people, like, I, I do want to actually counter one thing that you said about, you know, like, nobody should have to tell you stuff. Well, you know, it's not fair and it's not balanced. Nobody should have to, but somebody's going to need to because they need to be told. And obviously yeah, they're not getting told at home. Yeah, the parents yeah. are not telling yeah, them. Absolutely. And who knows what reason. You know, they don't know any better. They're busy. They're sick right. themselves. They, you know, whatever. It, some of the reasons are negligent. Some of the reasons are legitimately a problem. So we got to step up and help our help our neighbor. You know, we are still yeah, our neighbors. Absolutely. People. Well, and I and, think part of the parents in this particular family is they are such diligent workers and such honorable and you know hardworking people. I think they just thought that their role modeling would like translate to their kids and. For several of the, this person's siblings, they have, but this, this particular one kind of missed the boat. Yeah, yeah. And the other siblings he, are doing, you know, they're, they're, you know, monkey see, monkey do, but somehow this guy missed the monkey see, monkey do part. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I can absolutely see pointing that out. And I know many of our listeners might see themselves in that kind of situation, and, you know, or you may see a situation with a young adult who is not necessarily responsibility, but somebody's got to step up and say these things. And yeah, absolutely. Some, and so I find a lot of what I do with these, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, go ahead. Um, a lot of what I end up doing is, is just psycho, what I consider psychoeducational coaching type therapy with these, these folks because nobody else has done it. And only reason I know they don't know it is because they come in going, oh, my God, I'm really PO'd with my boss. They just fired me, and I really didn't do anything bad. And, I, and they tell me the story, and my jaw's on the floor going, what do you mean you didn't do anything bad? They didn't do anything intentionally bad. You know, it was, uh, if I were a Catholic, I'd go, you know, it's a sin of omission as opposed to a sin of commission. But um, yeah. it's like, come on, dude. You know, come on, honey, you don't know this really? And so, I'm, you know, and I have to say that, and then I go, look, I'm not trying to slam you, so I hope you don't perceive that as a, you know, shame on you, bad person, whatever, because I'm not, you know, I'm certainly not uh, castigating you because there are a lot of things, I don't know, they're, they're probably everybody on the planet but me knows, but uh, 
<laughs> you know, maybe this is maybe this is a good thing to happen because it gives us something to talk about. And maybe I can give you some education. So this one particular person says, "Yeah, you know," I said, "Because you're going to run into this in, in college when you go off to college. You're going to run into this to, with teachers. You're going to they're expected to do this kind of stuff." And I said, "Do you do you know things like attendance policies?" And, you know, and I got this blank stare, and I'm like, "Okay, we need we need to do some life lessons." So what happened was I spent the whole you know two hour session talking about life issues and life lessons stuff, or most of the two-hour issues. And it was a, two hours well spent, because now I may be saved this person, you know, trouble at the next job and trouble uh, at school with teachers. And, you know, because this, this is not a bad person. This is not somebody who's going out to be a, uh, he's not, not intelligent, you know, not in, um, intentionally going out to be a jerk and, and be a pain in the butt, by no means. But, you know, sometimes your behaviors make you look like that's what you're doing, even when you're not. And then, of course, employers don't know, and they assume that you know, and you're old enough to know, you know. And then they, you know, get all butthurt, and then they want to castigate you, and then you don't understand why they're mad at you. And it's just, it just sucks, and it doesn't have to happen, you know. Yeah, definitely. And, I, and I'm hoping the things we talked about tonight will help any of our listeners who might kind of hear this and go, oh, God, that sounds like me. Or somebody yeah, in my and what family. I would say to parent, yeah, and what I would say to a parent is, if you have even any inkling your kid doesn't know, just ask them. And if they look at you and go, oh, mom, really? Or come on, dad, are you serious? Better that than them go, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. And then after you pick your jaw off the floor, you can go, okay, let's talk. <laughs> and, you know, and you just, you've saved your son or daughter a lot of heartache potential heartache in the future. So don't be afraid to, to ask. Hey, by the way, you do know, you know. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you're going to have a reaction, it better be, oh, my God, I knew that like three years ago rather than what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Uh -uh. Yes, that Definitely. is correct. <laughs> okay. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and start wrapping this up. Um, on behalf of myself, Dr. Mathis, and NDB Media, we want to thank our listeners this evening and also give our appreciation to those of you who may be joining us later via podcast, iTunes, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, etc. So we will see you guys again in two weeks with a new topic for discussion Wednesday, June 22nd, 11 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on blogtalkradio.com. And I also want to give a shout-out to other NDB Media shows that are coming up in the next couple of weeks. So uh, tomorrow night, Travel It's Radio, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Hidden away within 240 acres of tropical forest and transparent waterways, the Fairmont Mayacoba is a five-diamond resort in Playa del Carmen, Mexico. Hear all about this handsome 401-room beachfront property on Thursday, June 9th, when Travelers Radio host Dan Schlossberg and co-host Mary Ellen Nugent Lee ask Sylvia Ferrer of MYK her impressions of the resort. Next, Sports Talk with the Guys, Saturday morning extravaganza, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. The Monday morning quarterbacks are live on Saturday morning. This is hosted on StreamYard, so check the NDB Media page on Facebook for links and times. Uh, this one's going to be a little ways ahead, but I want to give you guys a heads up. Uh, Fear the Walking Dead has ended for the season. So Sunday, August 14th, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, the Tales of the Walking Dead online viewing party, season one, episode one, series premiere. There are six episodes. 
official AMC synopsis, and show title obviously will be TBA later. Monday Night in America with Roger Noriega, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Roger D. Noriega brings you his unique take on politics, current events, entertainment, sci-fi, and history, currently also hosted on StreamYard. Tuesdays, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, Phantom Access Week in Review. Join the crazy critics, Jamie, Karen, and AJ, as they digest another night of TV. Recent hot takes include Fear the Walking Dead, Stranger Things, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Star Trek Strange New Worlds. So please look for the Rock and Roll Shrink on Facebook, on Twitter, on iTunes, or Spotify. Tune in, iHeartRadio, and on the web at www.rockandrollshrink.com. Good night, everybody. Thank you for joining us. See you next time, and rock on. Good night.